it's Peter Miller uh, for Smarter Than BPD. Uh, this is episode 20, uh, and today I'm meeting with Maureen Ree from Los Angeles, California. How are you doing today, Maureen? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Pretty good. Kind of a little bit of a busy Saturday, but uh, that's life, right? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was curious, how did you um, stumble across the podcast? So I'm pretty active on Reddit and just a bunch of different subreddits. And I came across the BPD one and I periodically check in on that and see what people comment or offer links to resources. And somebody had um, suggested your podcast. And so I took a listen to it, read all the stuff on your website and was intrigued. All right. Well, thanks so much for for taking a look and listening and um and, and offering to come on the podcast have, have you been through all of the episodes um not all of them i've been through a few of them but not all of them yet <laughs> okay yeah no problem um so have you been experiencing uh, a bpd for a, a, a large portion of your life Yes, I think so. I think when I was about nineteen twenty is when the symptoms became very apparent. And mm -hmm. I'm 34 now. So it's been, you know, quite some time trying to figure things out and, you know, therapy and all of that. Yeah, it can be like a roller coaster, uh, mm -hmm. like being in a in a or in a maze, like a nightmare maze, right? <laughs> kind of. Exactly, and just a lot of like, what am I doing? What am I supposed to do? Why is nothing helping? And yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I'm sure you mm -hmm. know. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, as as you know, probably from my story, that it it was um, a long time coming to learn about like the the full reality of things and um and even though i was like going to school for psychology and everything it was uh mm -hmm. still eluded me somehow and i don't i don't even recall hearing a lot about borderline when i was in university so that kind of stunned me too after the fact and so uh, you said that it's been a, like a, a long a long time coming for you to learn about it as well yeah, because at the beginning, um, see, I've been like, I've after I have a ton of like childhood trauma. So growing up, it just kind of really just sucked. I'm sorry to say, but when mm -hmm. I was about like 15, 16, that's when my first um, um, opportunity came to receive therapy. And, you know, I would just talk to my therapist at the time about like struggles at home, at school, but they weren't diagnosing me with anything. They just, you know, obviously said that I have trauma and depression and maybe a little bit of anxiety, but, you know, no real diagnosis with like specific names from the DSM or anything like that. Um, mm -hmm. As I started to get older, um, just nothing was working. Like I was going to talk therapy. I was even on medication a few times throughout my life, but like maybe things were calm here and there, you know, I had moments of it, but in reality, like deep down, the problems were still there and I couldn't figure out like what was wrong with me, you mm -hmm. know? And this whole like, you know, having a name on your uh, mental illness or whatever, um, can cause a stigma or have stigma behind it. But I just feel like, you know, it's, kind of good to know like where you stand so you get the appropriate help and so mm -hmm. um i was just trying to figure out what was wrong with me because i definitely wasn't bipolar i'm definitely not like you know schizophrenic or anything like that but 
nothing was fitting into the feelings I was having and the thought patterns. And um, until I was in my about like mid twenties, I started seeing a therapist um, after taking a couple of years break in between from when I was a teenager. Um, and she, you know, was the one that talked about like borderline and borderline tendencies. And so I figured maybe this could be like what I need to be diagnosed with so I get the proper help. And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. and that's what happened. <laughs> and it's, it, it sounds uh, kind of sadly common that, you know, people start out asking questions and it's hard to narrow things down and you can get misdiagnosed um, even a few times before you find out mm-hmm. what's really going on. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe um, therapists and, and even doctors try and stay away from that borderline title, I guess, because it can, I guess it can be stigmatizing, but... I, ho- I hope with the work that we're doing here that it can kind of re- remove some of the stigma like just like it's just like another thing like diabetes you know that's kind of what I'm, I'm hoping for yeah it's a really serious thing you know and people don't know much about it unfortunately because you ask somebody what is borderline personality disorder a lot of them are like i've never even heard of that you know mm-hmm. and then the mm-hmm. people that do know about it they just think oh it's an unstable person that can't do everyday things because they're so unstable you know right which is very far from the truth yeah yeah you know so i don't know just a lot of bad stuff attached to it for some reason not bad but negative you know a lot of misunderstanding misinformation i guess Um, there you go (laughs) um yeah like um putting it in sort of the quote-unquote crazy category i guess um it, I guess yeah. it can sort of appear that way sometimes if you don't understand what's happening. But um, yeah, it's it's not like uh, it's not like this untreatable thing where you know this person is a write off. Um, I'm really trying to get that across with the things that I say. Like it is like so completely treatable, um, and it's just like learning some special skills uh, that you you know you needed earlier, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's exactly what BPD is. Like people can you know go into remission quote unquote if they learn you know the appropriate ways to sue themselves or escape certain situations or stay away from things and Mm -hmm. i think also the problem was when i was younger i didn't understand like what was going on you know Mm -hmm. and so i got more into my therapy i kept going and that's when i that's when you start to learn like really why things are happening to you the way they are and why you see things this way. So I think Mm -hmm. with therapy, it really helps you understand for sure. Which is essential, right? I guess if you're to stay motivated and, um, and to, um, yeah, like to not give up on yourself and stuff like that. So can you, Mm -hmm. can you speak a little bit more to your, some of your childhood experience? Is that okay? Like, uh, what, what it was like, um, for you? So growing up, like I've seen everything. I've seen violence. I've seen, you know, disrespect. I've seen, you know, just a lot of bad things. You know, my parents were just not good to each other. And, you know, they weren't good to me and my siblings. Um, Just, you know, they, I don't know if they even understand like what their problem was back then, but back then, you know, they just had a lot going on mentally, it seemed like, now that I'm an adult looking back on it. But um, just the way they interacted with each other was, and the way they interacted with me and my siblings, it was just not normal, you know? So, so they, they, it sounds like they had a lot of their own issues. Oh, yeah. To and deal I, with for at sure, the time. 
absolutely. My mom, you know, suffers from depression and she's got anxiety and PTSD from the abuse that she got from my dad. And my dad, I don't know what happened to him growing up, but he's definitely got some issues going on for sure. And, you know, I think he might be a little bit of a narcissistic or something or, you know, some, or something along that because he'll never admit to anything. You know what I mean? He'll never admit to like what he's done wrong and all of that. So mm-hmm, there's something mm-hmm. definitely going on with that, which can, you know, sounds like it's really in hard. sort of the, the narcissist realm. I guess that's one of the red flags I I see when, or one of the things I look for for that that type of personality is the, yeah not taking any ownership of things. Um, yeah. So what was it like uh, emotionally? Like, um, were you? Because quite often people can experience like a combination of like trauma or. Um, emotional abandonment or invalidation did, did you have those things oh, yeah um so like i said my parents fought all the time they were physically violent towards each other as well as lo- as with like the words and yelling but you know they were not very gentle or kind towards me and my siblings like you know if we did something wrong it would just be like you know because it's because you're a fuck up you know no one ever sat down and talked to me about like how i'm feeling and why i do this and why i like that you know it's a lot Mm -hmm. of like um uh what do you call it a lot of belittling you know comments and names that were thrown around quite often so Mm -hmm. um you know i guess you shame shaming that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And then I grew up thinking I'm like this, you know, absolute trash of a human. And it took me so long to not think that way about myself because I know I'm not. It's just, you know, from a young age, you're told that you're nothing and you're bad. So, yeah. And it's probably their best attempt at maybe trying to uh, do parenting in the, for what they know, I'm guessing. But yeah, um, exactly. It's what they could do at the time and it sucks because you know it wasn't the best thing to raise kids with with that kind of mentality that they had so that's a real damn yeah. shame it's <laughs> like a punishment like it's like a punishment paradigm like if you if kids are seem to be misbehaving or kind of like out of control then you sort of bring the hammer down it's mm-hmm. the idea right and then that's gonna like you know, that's going to fix things. And uh, I was trying to emphasize in one of my recent podcasts that punishment does not teach anything really other than like what to avoid. Exactly. And, you know, I don't think you really learn anything either because from whatever you did that was so bad, you know, it just doesn't fix anything and it doesn't teach you anything other than like, okay, so I was bad. So I'm going to do this to kind of redeem myself and then that'll be it. You know, if that makes any sense. Mm Well, and sometimes kids can end up spending their life trying to gain a sense of acceptance from their parents if it seems like they're ang- they're angry all the time. And then kids often interpret that as rejection, right? And so they're kind of going like, my parent mm-hmm. doesn't like me and I want to be able to connect with them, but they keep getting, they keep rejecting me. Is, was, uh, was it sort of like that for you? Absolutely. I could not talk to them and they, you know, didn't give a shit to talk to me. So, um, Yeah did not really com- communicate and i you know the whole like fear of abandonment thing like that was very very um i think that's well can i tell you a story about that i have a really like interesting one for sure for so sure, yeah. 
So when I was, I don't even remember how old I was. I had to have been like maybe younger than five or something. I remember I got in trouble with my mom. Again, I don't remember what I did, but she was so furious with me, you know? And she had told me, you know, you are such a bad kid. You're a bad daughter. I'm going to pack all your things and I'm going to leave you out on the street so somebody else can come and get you. And she actually mm-hmm. did. She packed a bag, packed it with some clothes, and she walked me down oh, the street. And, and she walked me down the street and she fucking left me there. And I was like crying, bawling my eyes out. And oh, like. Man exactly like who would fucking do this so about i don't know it was a couple minutes later she came back and she was like you know if you really misbehave again next time i'm really not going to come back for you yeah i like, think what kind of punishment is that you know she's probably trying to whatever scare you into obedience right i think a lot of parents again sadly do this like i, I call it like a, a false activation of the fight flight freeze system so they try and like they might say, for example, like, um, if you don't put on your seatbelt in the car, then the cops are going to come take you away, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's, even if there's there's no cops around, right? Like, so right. it's like a mm-hmm. false, it's a false, like a, it's like a false flag operation, a false activation of the, of the fear system. Um, yeah, so then they think. Yeah, which is so fucked up to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, it basically sets you up so that you uh, end up being scared when it doesn't make sense to be scared. Exactly. Um, like, yeah. that's just so evil to do to somebody, let alone a fucking kid. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, it's wild that, you know, um, parents have thought, you know, this is helpful. Because um, maybe you can get sort of some temporary short-term <laughs> compliance with it, but but it, there's, it's so damaging uh, to do. But, and mm-hmm. they, I'm... I, I usually try and give people the benefit of the doubt of the doubt that they don't know the damage they're doing. Um, but it's, it can be hard to do that because, because you can experience such long-term consequences from that kind mm-hmm. of parenting. Right. And um, oh, I mean, I, I, I hope any young parents out there that are listening to the podcast, I'm like, I, I hope that you will try and refrain from doing the, uh, the false activation of the fight flight free system, because it is, it is quite damaging and it if it doesn't turn into bpd it can easily turn into other anxiety disorders like um where you just can't tell the difference between real and imagined danger you, you just get confused you know yeah absolutely and that's what bpd is a lot of too you know just like a lot of this made up thought up you know abandonment or rejection that you know you're so scared of happening and it just ruins everything that's happening you know so of course yeah it's and, just, uh, that's good to highlight that because um, that is quite often the where the emotions get like uh, turned up to eleven, right? It's when you're yeah. you're you're, perce- you're perceiving rejection or you're perceiving abandonment that isn't mm-hmm. happening, right? And then but then you act yeah. as though it is happening, and and then you get all these reactions, and it turns into this horrible drama. It does. It turns into a crisis situation, and now you know it's hard to come back from that. You know, you can't just automatically squash it because now all these feelings and emotions are, you know, up on the surface, you know, it's so hard to like turn that off and go back to your baseline after that. So exactly. It's, it's, it's a snowball thing. It is exhausting. <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah. And it's actually, it's so cool to hear these stories um, from real people. So thanks again um, for sharing this. Um, and did your family stay together or did they did it fall apart or um, yeah my family dynamic is pretty torn apart so my mom and my dad they've been separated for as long as i could actually remember 
So my mom basically was a single parent. My parents didn't actually get divorced on paper legally until I was about 19. Um, Mm -hmm. My dad, you know, was always in a horrible mood, you know, always was treating his kids terribly. My siblings and I, he cheated on my mom multiple times, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. both of them, both of my parents also kept secrets from us too. Like nobody was ever open about anything. Nobody sat down with us and told us what was going on. Like everything was just hush, hush. You know, and so Mm -hmm. when you ask questions, the answers didn't make any sense because it wasn't the whole truth or it was obviously a lie. And so, you know, I grew up thinking that, like, everyone's going to lie to me. So I don't trust anyone. And that's where it is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And so my family is, you know, definitely not intact. My mom and my dad are obviously separate. Um, I don't really know what my dad where my dad is exactly because i don't keep in touch with him like that all i know is that like he worked in finance for quite some time but now he's lost it all so the last time i heard he contacted he contacted my mom and um you know was asking her for money and all this shit but she wasn't going to give him any so i think he's lost everything um Mm, i don't really want to keep in contact with him because of what he's done to me as a kid growing up so Mm. there's that but my mom and Mm -hmm. i are on great terms i talk to her every day she's really sweet um but she definitely still has her issues and then my brothers and i um you know we're different people that's for sure but you know we can understand each other so we have that going on but other than that yeah i don't really have family that like i can really say that i can really depend on rely on you know Mm -hmm. and that's um Again, one of the the typical patterns, right? I guess um, where um, a family isn't equipped to to handle some of the situations um, and to handle the childhood development, basically. Um, yeah. And my my family situation was pretty pretty much the same in just in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, parents preoccupied with their own issues, lots of fighting and drama, and um, kind of, and then me in the wake of all that, and, you know, not not learning anything uh, helpful about emotions. Um, so when did when did you start experiencing like difficulties with emotions and mental health? Was it like in your teen years or? So, yeah, when I was about 16, that's when my mental health issues really came to the surface. I attempted suicide when I was about 17, and I got um, one of that 5150 hold where you're in a facility for 72 hours or something where they keep an eye on you. So I had that happen to me because I attempted suicide. Um, and ever since then, at that point, I was just like, I'm damaged. I don't know what's happening. But when I was about 19, 20, I got into a relationship and that was my first, um, kind of like awakening of like, wow, like I definitely have issues with intimacy and, um, it was a shit show. I'll have to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) What was the general theme of it? It was just a lot of fighting, a lot of feelings of like, I can't trust this person. A lot of like, I don't think he's telling me the truth. A lot of just, no, a lot of just like not feeling secure. So a lot of insecurity, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. And um, uh, yeah, I've mentioned that uh, numerous times too. It's this this yearning for safe, a sense of safety and security um, that doesn't get established because the attachment and connection isn't there and the learning about emotions isn't there. Um, did you 
develop any ways like of getting short-term relief or uh, for feeling safe and secure? Um, you know, I unfortunately, you know, used to smoke a lot. So yeah. I escaped with that. I didn't really drink or do like hard drugs because um, I tried to hear and I tried a bit here and there, but just wasn't for me. But cannabis was always the best thing that I could rely on. And so I was a heavy smoker all throughout my 20s, um, okay. which is unfortunate mm -hmm. because I use it as a crutch. And now I don't smoke so much at all. And um, I think that's helped a lot with, um, you know, switching perspectives and kind of thinking differently and trying to rely on your own self versus, you know, some substance to get you where you need to be. Right. So. That's, uh, yeah, where people go, they, they just look for whatever will work to get a bit of relief because it can be so just agonizing to get through each day, right? Mm -hmm. So a yeah. lot of your perception and interpretation, especially in relationships, you would be, you would be feeling like it's not safe, like the, the person is going to leave you. Is that the? Oh yeah, I always you? thought yeah. that. Yeah, I always thought I was going to get broken up with. You know, always I, I I just always felt like I was doing something wrong. You know, I was just I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop, essentially. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't do me very well. Um, I, I, don't, I haven't been in that many relationships, but, you know, they all have ended pretty bad because of my insecurities and just fighting over things that did not make any sense at all. So, so then you would you would kind of be you would feel the emotions and it would seem so real. Then you would like act as though it is right. Um, yes. And then mm -hmm. how would the partner respond usually? Well, you know, at first they would just try to talk to me and figure out like what is going on. And, you know, that's not what this is. I never did this. I never did that. You know, like not what you're thinking and feeling is not true. Um, it happens so much to the point where they themselves have lost patience and, you know, have raised their voice at me because it just kept happening. So... <laughs> Yeah. So they would do what a lot of people do, right? They would go straight to the facts. They would try and kind of do like a logical analysis. Um, mm -hmm. But then they wouldn't have any way to support you through the emotions. Uh, yeah. So that so that so that you could be rational. Is that kind of what it was yes. like, or you would just, yeah. Yeah. Whenever I would just get so um, triggered or riled up, um, I've had some partners who would just fight with me. You know, as I'm yelling at them, they're yelling back at me and. You know, and that just causes more chaos. And eventually I would break up with them. And most mm -hmm. of my relationships have been like that, where the fight, would, the fighting would get so bad. The other person is just like, I'm done. Like, I can't deal with this anymore. Mm -hmm. And rightfully so, because, yeah, it's exhausting, you know? Yes. I mean, yeah, it is. Um, I guess the frustrating part like that I, where I've become frustrated as a therapist and a person who has experienced this disorder is, um, just sort of the lack of knowledge in the world about emotions. And so like, mm -hmm. it's sort of like everyone seems to automatically invalidate each other, <laughs> which is, yeah. it's like, why does it have to be like that? And um, it's like, there's no time for emotions or there's just no knowledge. I Do you, do you experience that in, where you live too, like in your life? Oh yeah, of course. You know, nobody has time or the energy to like discuss with you about like how you're feeling, how they're feeling, because they just think that's going to make them look a certain way, whether that makes you, whether that makes you think that's going to make you look weak or, you know, mm -hmm. inferior to some degree, you know, I'm sure that's why a lot of people just don't 
you know, release emotions so easily mm-hmm. because they're just afraid of getting judged, you know? And I understand that too, but you know, that's not very yeah. good. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, um, it's, there's just some, there's a void in, um, skill for being in relationships in a lot of cases. And, um, so many of us grow up without, um, knowing how to be in our bodies and with our emotions and, um, yeah, it, it just sort of seems like many others, they could just, they can't fathom that someone would have a deficit in that way. So they're going like, you know, you're like 18 or 19 or 20, you should automatically be mature, right? Like in that mm-hmm. emotionally yeah. mature and um, mm-hmm. um, it's well, just like age. Ex- yeah. Age isn't maturity, right? No. And I just love how people are like, you know, you've reached an age where you should be able to control your um, impulses. You should know that you shouldn't yell, you know, and it's true. But sometimes a lot of us with this disorder have not been exposed to, you know, handling situations appropriately. And so that's why we just go to our default, which could be yelling or crying or, you know, anything of that sort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And um so then it reach it reaches a, a culmination, right? Where you eventually start going to therapy. You're going like something isn't right. Um, was there a certain point in your life or situation where you were finally finally thinking that you needed to investigate a lot deeper? Yeah, I was just very unhappy, and you know, I just didn't know why because it wasn't like you know. I was living on the streets or anything like I had, I work, I had jobs, I have a vehicle, you know, I have a roof over my head. So just like, what is going on? That's making me so unhappy sometimes. And, you know, I was just like, I need someone to help me. And that's when I decided to, um, you know, reach out to therapy and yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. How did they identify that you had borderline? Was there a certain, certain types of traits that they said, Oh yeah. Like if you have these five out of nine or whatever, is that what happened? Definitely the, um, what you call it, the um, the outbursts, of like rage or just like crisis mode kind of thing. Um, in the flight or flight, they talked about um, the trauma. They were like, you have a lot of trauma that is obviously, you know, making you think in different ways, you know, because things are not just this or that, you know, and I have a, I still do have a really hard time understanding to get to the middle path of like, nothing is just like this and nothing is just like that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and me thinking that way has gotten me into a lot of trouble. And so, um, yeah, a lot of my therapists that I've seen have said that to me, the way I think is just a little distorted and yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously mm-hmm. the crazy relationships, you know, the issues I have in my relationships, that was a big one too. Okay. So did you enter a treatment program or have you done any, any specific work um, or therapy for BPD? Yeah. So I have my therapist that I see once a week and I'm also in a DBT um, therapy too. So I see, I'm a basic, I'm therapy three times a week. So I see my therapist. I see that I've seen for years now. I see my DBT therapist for individual session. And I also have my DBT class with a group of people. Um, mm. so you got the, this... the real, uh, therapy, the real DBT. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all the skills that we're learning, the mindfulness, the emotion regulation, you know, radical acceptance, all of that is being taught to, you know, the group I'm in and, you know, 
what's really like this is just i don't know if this is going to be the same for you or maybe you can relate maybe you can or anybody else it's just that intellectually and conceptually i understand like what the skills are and why i feel the way i do and why i can't react appropriately to certain situations like i get that and i understand like you know the concepts behind trauma and just everything else that comes with this disorder but my Mm -hmm. only problem is you know, when the time I need to use a skill, I don't use it. And it's not because I don't know what the skill is. It's just, it's just so hard to put that into play for some reason, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. In the moment application. Absolutely. Um, Do you, um, do you, are you able to um, like a page or call your therapist? Is that part of your therapy too? Like in the moment or? Yes, that is. And um, I haven't, I haven't had to use it so much. um, So that's, I guess in a good way, in a, in a way good, but, um, yeah, she allows us to call her or text her if we ever are in a situation where we need somebody. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you have tried that as how, how has that been if, when you've done it? So when I really needed it was a couple weeks ago, but I couldn't do it because I didn't have reception cause I was camping. And so that, you know, obviously sucked. But another time before that, I think it was like a month or two ago, I had texted her and said that, you know, I'm feeling very overwhelmed. I think I'm going to start crying. Um, Please call me or text me if you can. She calls Mm -hmm. me right away and I tell her what was going on. I was just like, you know, I got into a fight with so-and-so and and I just feel like he's going to break up with me. And, you know, I just hate the way that I am sometimes when I behave like this, you know, and then she tries her best to calm me down and she tries her best to, you know, kind of see from the other person's perspective too, you know, mm-hmm. you know, she would ask questions like, you know, why do you think he's behaving like this? Is it because, you know, you did this, you know, so mm. just quick coaching like that. Okay. Yeah. And um, like where I am in, in my clinic, I've, I've never been able to do like an official uh, dialectical behavior therapy, just um, rather just like talk about the skills and um, mm-hmm. do the individual therapy. Like we've had we've had a group and individual therapy where I am, but never the like the pager or the, the texting, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But um, yeah, so I'm just always curious, like if that if you know if that really enhances things or improves things because it is hard to like um figure out what to do in in the moment and that's when you really need to do something because right? <laughs> um that's yeah. where things can really that's where things can really fall apart exactly and that's where things can really just make or break a whole relationship too and it's unfortunate because you know you could be with somebody who's you know a real person you know they try to understand you they try to help you but then sometimes your behavior you just can't help it and so you continue to sabotage and sabotage till you actually try to get the person to leave and they leave and then it's just this whole like you know Mm -hmm. like weird self-fulfilling prophecy or something you know self-fulfilling prophecy yeah like you imagine you imagine abandonment enough until you actually it actually happens right like (laughs) yeah because you expect it to happen and for some reason it doesn't feel right if it doesn't happen because i'm so used to you know being left behind rather than someone like embracing me so Mm -hmm, yeah and it is hard like i think some of the hardest feelings are as i was mentioning in some of my podcasts um learning to tolerate uncertainty um because i mean 
sometimes people do change their mind and they don't want to be in a relationship, right? And so we do have to be able to live with that emotion um, each day to some extent, I think. Or, mm -hmm. you know, or people or people could just like get in an accident and die. It's possible too. Mm -hmm. um, so like yeah i guess one of my go-to's is always trying to name like name and label the emotion um mm -hmm. whenever i'm in a moment like not to say that i don't have slips and i haven't like totally gone off the rails um because that's that's happened but i guess the encouraging thing for me is that i've noticed that as i've worked and worked and studied and studied and like tried to be uh tried to meditate every day like over time mm -hmm. have you noticed that there's like a longer duration between slips like you sort of like you might have been a slip every week and then it's maybe it's kind of more like every two weeks and then yeah, longer and know, longer yeah so since i started the dbt um my outbursts or outrages or all of that have definitely reduced i swear i used to fight with well i can't call him my boyfriend right now because we're on a break but my partner he and i would literally fight every week and it would never be something that he did it would never be anything even like real it's something that triggered me i thought about it and my mind just spirals out of control and he knows that i'm upset and he'll try to talk to me and then it just turns into this big fight and that would happen like every week you know yeah and when you fight like that it takes a lot out of you physically too and you're just kind of like shit, exhausted you know mm -hmm. and that happened literally every week but um since i started doing dbt and really focusing on like my triggers and my therapy um like really really taking my therapy seriously you know um is when these crisis situations have reduced so i think from january up until like Towards the end of March, I've only had one like, like slip, and mm, that's um, awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great, right? But you know, my boyfriend, you know, did end things with me because he was just like, you know, I've told you so many times before, like I cannot, keep, you know, keep, you know, um, sticking up with this behavior, putting up with this behavior mm -hmm. because it takes a toll on me too, you know, and yeah do you think uh he might have been one of these nice guys who accidentally makes it worse like you know they're trying to help but they make it worse is that <laughs> you know i don't think so he just like he and i are come from totally different you know upbringings he's definitely more of a secure attachment whereas i'm like anxious attachment right and so yeah. you know he'll try to do everything to ask me like what's going on what made you feel like this you know and Maybe I don't know. Now that you're now that I'm thinking about it, maybe when he tried to really ask questions, like maybe that triggered a lot more out of me and made me make things worse. Maybe, yeah. Like if it's investigation and just focusing on logic and there's no emotional identification or validation, like where he would say, like you must be feeling so insecure or unsafe right now or something like that. Like, um, did any of that ever get thrown into the conversation or was it just like, why are you being like this? And why does, why do you have to be like so irrational or whatever? Yeah, it was a lot more like that. Like, you know, what does that have to do with this? And like, I never did this. And I, you know, I'm not like this. And you are literally making things up out of nowhere. You know, he would say things like that. And he would also say things like, you know, I understand, you know, why you have these triggers. I understand why you behave this way. But you have to understand that from, you know, from, from my point of view, like, it's exhausting to me. And I keep trying to defend myself over something that isn't even real. Mm -hmm. so 
that would be a lot of our arguments. <laughs> I don't know. To me, I think it's, um, I mean, I get where he's coming from and it is exhausting to, to, um, to try and have to work through things that aren't happening. Um, but at the same time, there can be a kind of a lack of sensitivity, emotional sensitivity. Um, I always yeah. give people that are struggling in relationships uh, a handout about validation. I'm like, here, talk to your partner about validation. See if they can just throw that into the conversation a bit, you know, um, so that they're in addition to challenging your your thinking, they, they can try and understand your feeling as well. Um, mm -hmm. But I think but honestly, a, like people skip over that. Yeah, but that's the thing too, like. Honestly, if you, the people that have experienced the trauma like we have, like, we're going to get it. But the people that grew up without this, like, they will never understand. Like, I think they can have empathy and sympathy and all of that, but they will never fully understand. So, you mm -hmm. know, they can only help so much. It's a good point. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, a person, you know, a person with BPD is probably, you know, mostly they have to be their own you know helper for the most part um and the really you know do, the expect yeah. the expectations that for the people that you're in relationships i guess you have to kind of keep them fairly low like for how much they can help right like yeah that's the thing too that's another mistake i used to make i used to just assume my partner can read my mind can you know know what knows what to do like knows the expectations you know but i never voiced any of that out but in my head, I'm like, they should know. If you really love me, you should just really know like what to do. But that's obviously mm -hmm. not the case. And mm -hmm. I'm slowly learning that as well. So <laughs> there's a lot of reality acceptance in overcoming BPD, like in just in just about like people and the world in general. And you're like, okay, like most people don't know very much about mental health and that's that's reality, right? And uh, yeah. you know, I, I'm mostly on my own with this. That's kind of reality, and it's mm -hmm. hard. It can be hard to accept <laughs> that as um, sort of the way it is. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It you is. Know, it, it is. Yeah, it is very much like on your own kind of thing because you know nobody's going to do the work for you. You have to do it yourself. It really is all about like having self esteem and making yourself feel better because unfortunately we didn't get it as a kid so now that you're learning it as an adult it's so difficult mm -hmm. did you ever have that thought like i didn't do this to to myself i don't want to have to do the work like did you ever have that oh kind yeah of attitude? yeah oh yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> just like it's not my fault like you know i didn't ask to be born you know my parents are the ones that have fucked up so why am i suffering you know that mm -hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm yeah, I, that's probably a common uh, hurdle to get over uh, as well. Um, and, and then just being willing and uh, having the desire to actually make it through like a whole treatment and um, get stronger. But um, it sounds like you've come a, a ways and like you're, you know, you're mostly through this. Is that is that about right? Um, you know, from where I was even like last year, it's really like day and night. So mm -hmm. I've just been putting a lot into play. Um, I've also learned to be a lot more open and vulnerable with myself. And I think that's helped tremendously to be really honest with yourself, you know? And I think that's something mm -hmm. um, I didn't really do before. Mm -hmm. Has your learning helped you to um, kind of overcome the, some of the, the self-destructive 
uh, beliefs or, or self-defeating beliefs that, you know, like, uh, you know, that your parents might have instilled or you might have put on yourself that you're no good or you're not, you know, you're not worthy or. Oh, yeah. Um, let me tell you this. Like, I used to really fucking hate myself. Like, I thought I was so ugly and dumb and like can't do anything good for nothing, you know, and you couldn't tell me otherwise because I just did not believe it. I just thought that, you know. I'm a really shitty person, but, you mm -hmm. know, working with my therapist and, you know, reading a ton of books, a ton of stuff, um, to help me think otherwise, um, have really helped and, you know, doing things for myself that make me feel good too, you know, have really mm -hmm. helped as well. And they could, and it could be like the smallest of things, like just even going to the gym, you know, you feel really good mm -hmm. after, but you know, I've set goals for myself and i've reached some of them and you know that definitely boosted a lot of things in me and you know now i can say i donate myself there's still things i need to like fine tune but that's going to happen over time and i'm just really happy that you know i don't have that heartbreaking feeling of just feeling like you're nothing you know because that's not mm -hmm. how i feel about myself anymore and if you do have like a moment of weakness or a slip, then it doesn't, do you look at it as like, it's just like a hurdle or just a, um, um, just a small setback. Is that how you look at that? Um, now I do, but before, like what, like when I still hated myself, if I slipped, I would automatically be like, oh my God, like, fuck this. This is a waste of time. I, I knew I couldn't do it, but now mm. it's just like, you know, I'm doing the best I can. I'm not perfect. Mistakes will happen. And you're going to have to move on and learn from it. But it doesn't make you a bad person or stupid or anything like that. You know, it's just life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it can be hard not it can be hard not to uh, fall into this like pit of shame. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Especially if you like said things that you didn't want to say or you did something you mm -hmm. didn't want to do. And then you're looking back and you're going like, oh, my God, like, you know, I said that or I did that. And um Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's one of the hardest that's one of the hardest recovery parts if you have uh if you backslide in your uh, in your work but yeah it can mm -hmm. just feel like the world is ending you know mm -hmm. or, you yeah just it's feel... like I just proved to myself and everybody else that I'm a, I'm like no good right it's kind of the yeah, idea <laughs> and I really can't do it and I really can't get better and this is the best it's gonna be for me you know like I'm just nothing but mm -hmm. and I used to really believe that about myself but um, not anymore because, you know, it's not like that. It really isn't. And I know a lot of people with this disorder are just constantly thinking that, you know, they're worth nothing. It's not true. You just have to, like, really, you know, see that it's not like that because it isn't. And mm -hmm. I just I, I wish there was an easier way to explain it. But, you know, once mm -hmm. you've done the work and come to a place where you get that, that's when you'll fully understand it. And you know I, have you um <laughs> developed like a, a daily self-care routine that kind of involves some mental health stuff or dbt stuff yeah every day i um i do this thing i have a a grid a graph paper that i fill in every day and then like i have colors like a color um scale and you know according to whatever color it, it is i will say i had a great day or a bad day and I just like fill in this little square and so every day of my life um I've been tracking my mood so to say or my mm -hmm. feelings and, yeah mm -hmm. and then the dbt they have diary cards that you have to fill out every day too so that's helped um mm -hmm. so yeah that's helped a lot cool
Yeah, like mine is, um, I've like, I really got into mindfulness meditation. Um, and I, I've kind of like, uh, made that like a, as much as I can, a daily practice. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the same for everybody that that, you know, is a, like a core thing that, that needs to be done. Um, yeah, have you done a lot of that? Yeah, I definitely do breathing exercises um, when I can. Unfortunately, I should definitely do it more. I just um, haven't been able to. Um, but it does help a lot, breathing in, breathing out. And yeah. um, and I feel like isn't like what, what I was taught in DBT, like the core skill is mindfulness, to be present and not think about anything else or emotions because – you're literally just looking at the facts right now and, and it is what it is, nothing else to it. So mm -hmm. I think that's a good way to put things into perspective as well. So you don't flip out or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to bring yourself into wise mind in whatever way works for you. And like my, my thinking kind of at this point is that there's no particular DBT prescription for each person. Like each person will probably find a certain set of DBT skills that works best for them. Um, over time you know yes, um, so like so like my my number my top five skills could be different than yours or whatever right like um or my my dbt self-care routine could be a bit different but um absolutely either mm -hmm. either way it sounds like like you know like you dug hard into the material and um and you've been engaging in some therapies and uh over time you've seen some progress and um it's a it's a hopeful prognosis right it is. It really is. And then if you like compare your behaviors to how you're behaving now and, you've been, and if you've been putting in the work, it's a really big, good change to see because before I used to yell and like, you know, just automatically, you know, get so angry over things. But now I don't because I just know that the behavior that comes with it is just not worth dealing with. You know, and mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. want and I want people to like listen to me and be able to talk to me. And so the only way people are going to do that for you is if you're calm and, you know, just not yell. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm yeah. And to have a way to um, be effective. Right. And put yourself into mm -hmm. that effect, effective, um, put yourself into that effectiveness. So. Mm -hmm. It's so it's so uh, wonderful to hear. And so thanks so much for, for sharing today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I love that. And um, I'm looking forward to more episodes of your podcast to keep learning. Yeah, I'm uh, hoping to have uh, uh, lots more to say and um, and more guests. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I hope that others are kind of hearing the, you know, that it's a process and that uh, when you know when you when you uh, find the right information and you put yourself on a path, you know where you can learn things that actually work, then um, it's not it, it's not as bad as you think it's as uh, as it is. Sorry for my stumbling there, <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I also think that, you know, in order to take the first step in any recovery, you have to be 100% honest with yourself and like, you know, why you're here and why you're feeling that way. And I know that's very hard to do. But, you know, I think the first step is to being absolutely vulnerable to get the help that you need. So yeah, to say exactly what behaviors you're experiencing, uh, mm -hmm. where your thought where your thoughts take you. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, to examine those um criteria for borderline personality disorder to see, you know, how realistically you fit in there. And um, 
like I was honestly stunned when uh, I my colleague pointed out like Peter I think mm -hmm. like you you fit these criteria and like like, I'm like it's like it was it was kind of humiliating right i'm like i'm thinking oh i'm a therapist i'm a psychologist and mm -hmm. you know and i you know i don't have you know and then uh this colleague of mine is like so she's a really bold person and like not scared of anything right and and <laughs> telling and me says, yeah. she's like she's like you're borderline i'm like what <laughs> it was That's hard so to funny. it was hard to accept and um but that was what I needed to like really start taking a hard look mm -hmm. uh, uh, and being honest with yourself you know yeah so mm -hmm. okay well yeah thanks so much uh, for coming on here Maureen and um uh, I think that you know these stories are super helpful for anybody who's uh, on a journey so yes thanks for absolutely. being there being there for others that's um that's uh, a, such a loving gesture, I think. Oh, well, I hope somebody can either relate or understand and know that, you know, it's not just you. There are people out there who understand. You just have to keep working. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, just keep moving forward and, and uh, working on the right stuff. Okay, well, thanks. Thank you so much.